Hi, I'm Marcelo, a 56-year-old guy who decided in midlife to switch careers after 30 years in the tech industry to filmmaking, pursuing a lifelong dream I had since my teenage years. I thought, if not now, then when? So follow me in this journey as I speak with other filmmakers all about how to make a living in filmmaking, the technologies we need to know, how to tell a good story, and much more. So welcome to another episode of Transitioning to Filmmaking. today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Lawrence Jordan, an Emmy and Ace Eddie nominated veteran feature film and television editor, and the co-creator of Master of the Workflow, all about which NLE you should learn. But before we get started, if you're watching this on YouTube, remember to subscribe to my channel, click that bell icon to get notified when a new episode is out, and hit the like button if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't, send me an email, marcelo at creativespark.ai, and tell me why. Finally, remember to visit my site, creativespark.ai, for more podcast episodes, tutorials, and to read my daily journal where I post how my transition to filmmaking is going. So let's bring on Lawrence. Larry, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you here. Glad to be here, Marcelo. Thank you for having me. Well, I found out about you because I'm going through this midlife crisis, career transition. I don't want to call it crisis. Um, I already had a crisis where I built the home theater behind me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going through this midlife uh, career change into filmmaking. And I've been doing a lot of research and I want to I want to focus on scripted and stuff. And obviously, your master of the workflow, which we're going to talk about in just a minute, what that is, um, came up. And that's how I found out about you. And then we connected and you were super cool to talk to. So I'm glad you 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 agreed to be on the podcast. So thank you for being here. You're welcome. Happy to be here. So I want to start out uh, first to tell us a little bit about your background. I mean, besides Master the Workflow, I mean, you are a film and TV editor. So tell us how you got into that and give us your a little bit of your history. Sure. Well, um, you, you know, I was basically born into a, a, a filmmaking family. My grandfather was a projectionist back in Times Square in the Nickelodeon days and uh, went on to the big theaters there and uh, then worked for CBS News as a projection and sound engineer for 20 years, uh, most most uh, notably on 60 Minutes. My father uh, sort of followed in his footsteps, but he uh, was interested in editing and he became an editor. But uh, as opposed to what I do, my father started his own company and uh, produced some of the earliest television commercials and uh, some of the biggest uh, television commercials into the 60s and 70s. Uh, and then he went on to uh, motion picture marketing, doing trailers and, and featurettes and promos and things like that for the studios after we moved out to California. And uh, it was just always in my blood. I basically grew up in an editing room, so I was very familiar with it, very excited about it really wanted to do it. And um, I started out in his shop as a, as a runner, a schlepper, as we used to call them. <laughs> schlepper. And, yeah, I used to pick up the cans from the film labs and from the different studios and make coffee and watch the editors and, uh, and just uh, start to hone my craft. And, uh, you know, that's how I that's how I started. And eventually he got me in the union. And I went on to uh, my, my focus was to be a feature film editor. That was always wanted uh, what I wanted to do. 
a lot of his associates from New York were uh, feature film editors like Dee Dee Allen and Richard Marks, Barry Malkin, some of the bigger names in the business came through his shop as aspiring editors. You know, they started out in commercials as assistants. And um, so I had, I had good fortune to have a lot of contacts and uh, really learn the skills of uh, 35 millimeter. And then in the, um, I guess it was in the early 90s, uh, I saw the Avid Media Composer and um, I saw that that was gonna be our future. And I immediately adapted and learned everything I could about it because um, working on the Macintosh seemed like, a, seemed like a fun thing. I had never really uh, been into it but um, I just I just absorbed it. I, I, I loved every minute. It was like a, it was like the coolest video game I ever saw. And uh, I wasn't really into video games, but uh, the uh, nonlinear edit system uh, on a computer was was really a, a thrill. So but that's interesting that's that that technology technological change, which is a huge one in the industry, right? Uh, going from the moviola, uh, the the stem and then to or the cam cam right it's called a cam cam, cam, cam the moviola the cam yeah. yeah and then to this is a huge jump in technology that didn't scare you that encouraged you even more to learn more it thrilled me it didn't scare me one bit uh, you know I was I was young enough to not be terrified by it um, and it just it was very uh, you know sort of instinctual and um, you know, the things that you could do with it coming from film, whereas, you know, if you made a splice, you know, you would hear it ripple through the moviola or the uh, or the cam and, you know, you'd see the splicing tape, uh, you know, with the Avid, you could make infinite number of splices and infinite number of versions. We used to have to send out for a black and white dupe every time we wanted to make a new version, which would take at least overnight. Um, color dupes were even more expensive duplicates obviously yeah, yeah and yeah. uh with the avid you could you could do all of that and uh you know so it, i knew that it was a paradigm shift in the craft and i knew that it was uh, going to change everything so no i just uh i just jumped on it and and just really um you know sucked it up you mentioned that you were it was because you were young and but do you feel that that's more of a personality trait than just young because i'm I'm considered an old guy and I love, change. <laughs> you know, I'm, I love all this change stuff. Right. So do you think that's more of a personality trait versus an age thing? Well, I do think that there are, you know, I hadn't been editing per se. Mm. Um, so I, um, I wasn't, um, you, you know, those, those sort of, you know, um, habits weren't ingrained in me so badly. And, um, so I really, you know, took to it really quickly and I knew that it was going to be, you know, the future. So I, I don't think that, yeah, no, I don't think that it, it was because I was young maybe, but because I was just excited about the technology. Yeah. I think anybody can learn it at any stage of life. I mean, if you want to learn it, you can learn it. There are some people who don't want to learn it. You know, there were editors who, um, you know, I was hired on some of my first jobs because all the editors quit when they heard it was going to computer and they didn't want to work on computers. You know, they wanted to work on physical film and, uh, you know, that was to their detriment. You know, most of them kind of came around and realized that, you know, this was going to be the way it was going to be. Um, 
But, you know, uh, when I say I was young, I was able to stay up, you know, till all hours of the night teaching myself everything about, like, for example, the Macintosh operating system and the hardware and the software. And I really dug computers and technology. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say I was like a computer nerd at that point. I think I'm probably more of a computer nerd now. Um, but I, I really I just I had the energy to put in right massive hours. Um, you know, I'm still learning new, new new software all the time. You know, over the last few years, I've really kind of gotten very good at Adobe Premiere. Uh, quite honestly, uh, doing mess of the workflow and our YouTube videos and things like that, interviews like this. Um, you know, I cut everything in Premiere. Uh, so, you know, I've I've learned it because I wanted to. And, uh, and you know, it's always a good thing to know new stuff, right? Absolutely. Especially in this day and age, it's important to know every piece of uh, you know, software you can mm -hmm. possibly know, at least on some sort of like, even if it's just on a superficial level, because if you get asked to use it on a job, you'll, you'll get better at it. You know, you'll get, uh, you get better at it by doing it. So, um, you know, I haven't really, uh, I, I've played with, um, you know, Final Cut and Resolve. I wouldn't say I'm proficient at them, but I feel pretty comfortable that I could pick them up pretty quick. I mean, I, I would argue that, uh, yeah, you you could master the workflows. You've done that, so um, I would argue that if you if you know Avid, which you obviously know it really well, going the other way is much easier. Coming from those to Avid, as I am going through, it's it's a it's a it's not hard. It's not undoable, but it's a steeper learning curve because Avid is a little bit different than Premiere. Uh, my teacher at UCLA said it really well, where she said, um, uh, Final Cut and, and Premiere is just open for you to play. Do whatever you want. It doesn't matter. Avid is like, no, there's a way of doing things. Let me show you because this is how it's going to work. Um, so it's a little bit, at least coming from my perspective, I wrote a whole article on that. It's a, it's a, a little bit of different curve. Well, I, you know, I, I, I don't want to be disagreeable, but I have to disagree with you it's there okay. because, it's, uh, you know, I... I felt the Avid very intuitive to learn, really? and okay. I actually it actually took me a little bit longer to kind of um, make the transition to Premiere and Final Cut. I found it gave you so many ways of doing things. For example, you know, uh, Avid makes proxies automatically. You, you know, when you ingest the footage, um, and they all go into a specific folder on a specific right. drive that you um, that you delineate. And um, with with Premiere and Final Cut, uh, files could go anywhere on your on your anywhere, hard drive. Anywhere. And so, for example, if you have to move a project to another computer and stuff, right. you have to figure out where all your media is, and uh, so things like that, sort of like you know, at the at the working level. But you know, I I, I have been fortunate that I have worked with an assistant. Uh, you know, since I started editing as per, you know, the way the union works. So I always had them there to, you know, hold my hand and, and you know, kind of guide me right. through the, uh, through the uh, complications. But uh, I'd say that they all just have their own, you know, sort of idiosyncrasies and workflows. And again, once you learn them, you just, they become second nature to you. Yeah. 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, it was funny you said about the files. For me, it was the reverse, right? I, I'm used to the files anywhere you want, right? I, I, I'm a very organized person, so I have a folder. I keep everything nice and organized. But you can literally put it on your desktop, on your downloads folder, on your temp folder. It doesn't matter, right? And that's right. the thing that got me that was a bit hard was like, what do you mean I need the this folder at the root level? Why do I need to put it there, right? Now, when you're linking, you can have it anywhere. But when you're ingesting, right, you have to have it at that root level. So I had to get used to that. But I have to tell you, one thing I did um, appreciate was um, how Avid breaks everything into files where Premiere is one file, one project file, right, for everything. As that grows, it could get out of control where Avid has the bin files and the project files and everything is, is separate, which is easier to share and stuff like that. So it's, um, I think from my perspective is just not knowing the software, right? That's intimidating and it's hard, but once, once you start using it as the more I'm using it now, along with Premiere, I'm starting to see the, the good stuff about it, right? Also the rich history I, I'm feeling, I, I wrote this in my article and I don't know how to explain it, but when I'm in Avid, I feel like I'm in a tool made for film editors as opposed to a tool made for just editing, for video editing. Does that make sense even? Yeah, yes, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, my friend who actually was my dad's assistant when we moved out from New York in 1974, if I dare date myself, um, <laughs> Steve Cohen, who's uh, an incredibly talented editor and, um, you know, really smart guy, uh, Steve and I did one of the first shows for a studio. It was actually for HBO. It was called Teamster Boss, the Jackie Presser story on the Avid. And um, that was that, that has a long backstory. But um, because we were so early on during the project, we had a lot of the engineers coming out from Avid. The man who invented the Avid, Bill Warner, came out. Uh, people like Tom Ohanian came out, Michael Phillips. We were still matching back to 35 millimeter film, so there was some more involved issues um, uh, back then. But um, my point is, is that they really took in uh, our needs as film editors, uh, you know. And Steve is very articulate in in how he expressed those. You know, for example, you can you can make a splice in in the black in the Avid, and you can't do that in any other tools because it's very un Macintosh like. Uh, whereas, you know, with Premiere, for example, you can you would drag everything. You'd select everything, you know, from right. a point forward, and you drag it to uh, to cut into that black uh, slug, is what we used to call it. We actually had um, you know a slug in there of blank picture. Uh, at the time. And, um, you know, you could cut into that blank film. And, um, you know, that's how you would stay in sync. So yes, it was designed with film editors in mind. And, um, you know, most of the subsequent programs are more sort of video oriented. Um, right. And it's just and it's just getting used to that. Um, just in, in terms of uh, something you mentioned about projects, if you've worked with Adobe Productions, Adobe Premiere Productions, every bin, quote unquote, is an individual project. So all my scene bins would be individual Premiere projects. And that's how they minimize the bloat and mm. make larger projects much more efficient. And, you know, Adobe's done a really good job. Uh, you, you know, it's not without its hiccups, like every piece of software, but right. uh, 
they've really come a long way. They really seem to want to work in the longer form market and obviously have. They've done a lot of big shows now. Still, I think uh, everything everywhere all at once was cut in premiere. Yeah. Yeah. And so was Par uh, Parasite, but Parasite, no, Parasite oh. was cut in Final Cut Pro 7. But, you know, was the first, really? oh, wow. yeah, the first Deadpool was cut in, um, in, in Premiere and, uh, and, oh. um, you know, most of David Fincher's stuff right. uh, is I cut think in he Premiere. refuses. Is it David Fincher that refuses or Walter Murch? One of them refuses to use Avid. I forget which one. I think both of them are, are, are in Premiere pretty, are they? pretty okay. uh, steadily. I, I don't know whether they refuse, but they, that's their preference. Right. Uh, a friend of mine who I actually interviewed on the Master of the Workflow uh, YouTube channel, Lisa Chur Churgin, who has tons of big credits. She's been doing her last, uh, got at least three or four films in Premiere. And, um, you know, they sort of have, uh, Adobe has the resources and manpower to support some of these bigger shows. I mean, I think uh, it was called Pan and Wendy for Disney. Um, you know, some of those shows get, you know, very, very uh, fast access to engineers if they have a problem or, you know, need to need to get something solved quickly. So, um, you know, it's again, it's still a small part of the overall film and television market, but um, it's getting bigger in TV and I'm sure they will stay competitive. They're a very big company. Yeah, and just to be clear, this this podcast is not about saying this is better than the other one. It's about talking all uh, about all of them, seeing the pluses and challenges of each of them, and seeing which one to use, when to use it. Because I think at the end of the day, we could both agree that know them all. It's a good idea, and you know which one you like working in the best is is really subjective. Right, right, definitely. Um, do you see that there is a, because you were mentioning about how more movies are, are being cut on Premiere, do you see that? Because one thing I'm finding out is if you want to be inscripted, you, or even unscripted, reality TV, you got to know Avid. If you don't know Avid, it's going to be kind of hard to get a job because it's very minimal to get, unless you're doing corporate video or even maybe indies, right? Then indies can be cut on Premiere. But do, yeah. you, do you see a shift slowly or not really? Uh, in feature films and television, uh, not really. I mean, people are much more open to it now, but I would still say, you know, and this is just a guess, but I would still say 95% of feature films and television are cut in the avid. And I mean, I believe that's a generational thing. You, you know, I think as, as more younger editors come up who already know Premiere, the thing about the avid is for large installations, large editing teams, Avid has the most robust networking um, and file sharing uh, ability uh, still. Um, you can do it on Premiere, but uh, I, I would be a little bit, um, I, I would have to have real support from both the vendor side and Adobe side. Uh, if I was working with another editor and maybe three or four assistants, you know, everybody having to have access, again, really robust access. Avid's like a, like, like a, like a steel tank. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. When you are on a network, I mean, there are people who are on shows that have, you know, 10, 12, 15 people on it. And you know, you're going to stay up and you're not going to have 
problems sharing all that right. media. And with the tight deadlines of these shows, right, and the turnaround time, there is no time to for for anything. Yeah, you really can't take the chances. And I don't think that a lot of producers want to, you know, want to risk um, their reputations. Now, again, if you're a David Fincher, uh, that's another story. You've got a lot of clout. Uh, if you're Walter Murch, you've got a lot of clout. And if the studio signs off and the director's you know, once, but the thing is, a lot of these younger directors know Premiere. They don't know the Avid. So they're, you know, sort of working on their cuts in Premiere and sort of sketching out ideas. So that becomes, you know, a reason why people might want to work in or, or be asked to work in Premiere. Um, now, you know, it, in independence, like you said, um, we're dealing with much smaller crews. I mean, a lot right. of independents don't even have an assistant. A lot of them are non-union. Um, but if, and if you're working with one editor and one assistant, Premiere is, you know, is not a problem. Right. Yeah, no, definitely. So definitely you got to know Avid because it's like you said, I, I think it's a good uh, uh, a guess, 95%, but definitely above 90. And you definitely want to know Premiere because if you're working in indies and everything else, you want to know Premiere. So the big question in my mind for me that I'm asking, um, so not to piss off anybody watching and listening, but about it's Final Cut Pro, right? I remember I was a huge, huge fan of Final Cut um, till seven. <laughs> then iMovie Plus came out, sorry. Uh, Final Cut, the, the remake came out, right? Now I know it's improved way, way much from since then, but from and actually we haven't talked about davinci resolve either yet but um from like final cut pro right where is it really being used and do you feel that somebody that wants to be uh inscripted docs uh reality indies do you feel that they need to know that or is final cut more focused on something else now well i uh, there are there are several editors that i'm familiar with that work in Final Cut Pro. And, um, you know, some of these guys come out of commercials or corporate video, um, but uh, they swear by it, you know? So again, uh, you know, and it's Final Cut Pro X at this point. Um, if you learn how to, um, you know, steer that, steer that car, you're going to be fine you know it's it's and if you learn the tricks on getting um you know your you know your turnarounds out to the di and to um you know the sound people from final cut pro and there are third-party tools and and ways of doing that you, you might even be able to do it natively in in final cut at this point um you know God bless you. That's, you know, that's, that's great. But again, it's a very small part of what we would call the Hollywood market. You know, right. it's just, it's much more uh, independence and um, independence and, and then short form, you know, commercials, uh, corporate, uh, you know, anything under 30 minutes uh, with a smaller crew, Premiere, Final Cut, and Da Vinci is being very, very widely used, to my knowledge. Yeah. Well, and speaking of Da Vinci, that's one that really excites me. Um, obviously, Da Vinci started as a color grading, right? Um, da Vinci Resolve, and now it's a full-blown suite, basically, right? The doing yeah. the whole thing. 
Um, and it seems like uh, Da Vinci is trying to get into the Hollywood market. Um, what's your take on Da Vinci? Obviously, we settled. We got to learn it, especially for color grading, because, I mean, everybody works with Da Vinci Resolve, right? From Avid, even Avid, you're exporting um, to Da Vinci, right? For color grading, for onlining. Yeah. Um, what's your take on that? Where is it being used? And, you know, what what's it good for today besides color grading? Well, uh, to me, to the best of my knowledge, it's I, I don't know of any feature films or television shows being cut in, in Resolve. Now, that's just me. I, I could just not be knowledgeable about what's happening. But I, 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 I'm pretty tapped into, you know, sort of the grapevine about, you know, what kind of projects are being done in what software. And again, I don't know of any. I do know a lot of projects that go out of Avid, out of Premiere, and then they finish in Resolve. Um, you know, this the, the, the feedback that I've gotten about Resolve is that it's a great program. Um, uh, the interface might be a little bit um, sort of cluttered uh, because you have so many tools, you know, built within the software, whereas Adobe's sound program is Audition and Avid has right. Pro Tools. Right. Yeah, they're all separate. So, um, you know, that's the only feedback that I've gotten. But, you know, those guys at Blackmagic, they're they're pretty um, tenacious. And I think that uh, they're going to keep keep, uh, you know, you know, plugging away at it. Uh, if they really want Hollywood, they're going to have to, you know, sort of uh, uh, come up to the plate in terms of, you know, what editors needs are. Uh, they're going to have to listen to editors. But you know, um, Marcelo, it, our market, film and television, as as high profile is, it's still a very tiny market. Right. You know what I mean, compared to the overall video editing market, um, especially corporate, right? Well, corporate, and and now you know, social media. You have mm. these tools like uh, the guys who make TikTok um, have their own program called CapCut which oh yeah uh -huh. i gotta tell you um you know i wouldn't want to cut a feature on it but to do little short things uh it's, it's an amazing it's yeah. an amazing power an amazingly powerful program and it's free you know and you could use it on your desktop or on your phone uh so you know the the video editing market is gigantic but we can't confuse that with the you know narrative feature film and television market and, you know, scripted shows and, and even the bigger reality shows. I mean, those guys are shooting with 24 cameras, 24 hours a day sometimes. So uh, you really need, um, you know, a, a robust and tested system like uh, Media Composer and the hardware that uh, that stores your media and things like that. Well, and talking about, um shooting all that footage right uh, even some filmmakers right some directors will will shoot you know 100 takes before they're happy with uh one setup um from an nle perspective do they all handle that amount of footage the same way do you feel that i mean of avid handles it better than than others and what i mean by handling it better meaning being able to stand up to that amount of footage and being able to easily organize it, easily tar uh, uh, tag it, easily find it? Well, I mean, you know, I, my, my opinion is going to be 
colored because I mean, I worked on the Avid for 30 years. So uh, to me, uh, it's the most robust at this point. Um, I think Premiere Productions um, is right behind it mm. uh, in terms of uh, handling that amount of footage, the way they've broken down the bin metaphor, calling them projects, a little confusing, but um, you know, you can have a very large show. I mean, think of the amount of footage they shot on something like, um, you know, like Terminator Dark Fate, which was cut in Premiere. You know, so uh, those are very, very, you know, media intensive, intensive and foot of int footage intensive shows. So um, obviously they were able to do it. Um, you know, it's just I, I, I just think that that you're going to have to have someone, you know, who really wants to work in it, like a director or a production company or producers um, to get the studio to buy off on it. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, the, the huge benefits is or the the big need is the ability to collaborate. Like you said, in some shows, you have 10 editors collaborating all on the same TV show, different episodes, right? Um, and that's extremely important to be able to have those capabilities, which from the little I know about Avid, and I know very little, but it, it was creative with that in mind, as opposed to all the others where they were, they were more creative for Marcelo, the single guy doing the stuff all on there on his own. And now we're trying to get into the business. So now we're going to make it where we can support, right? More, more people. Just the other day, I was uh, doing a podcast. Uh, it's a new podcast that we're doing specifically aimed at assistant editors called the Render Bar Podcast, um, which will be available on the uh, Master of the Workflow YouTube channel and Spotify channel. Um, and I was talking to Richard Sanchez and Erica Robbins and Steve Jacks. And these people have worked on shows like Game, Game of Thrones and uh, Mandalorian. And the size of those visual effects teams are so big that, you know, they have a visual effects editor who's kind of like the lead, who is actually doing the creative work. And then they have visual effects editors and assistants who are doing the count sheets and the breakdowns. So, you know, you've got to imagine the size of those crews. You, you, you know, you could have, again, you know, three editors on a show like that, and then maybe six assistants uh, between picture assistants and then visual effects assistants. Um, you, you know, so th they get really big, and you really have to have, a, you know, uh, a system that is very, very dependable. The more uh, popular workflow is to go from Avid to Resolve. Okay. Um, yeah, I think I think a lot of the DI houses, digital intermediate houses are, are or what we used to call online houses are are working in Resolve and you know things like Assimilate Scratch. I'm not sure how popular that is now. There are several others. Um, but that's where they you know take the um, the footage that the offline editors have worked in the Abaddon and match it back to the 4K or 5K or 8K masters and do their color correction, which brings up a really good point that I that I want to mention to you and your listeners. Um, the idea of proxies is is sort of foreign to a lot of people who have not worked on the Avid. Working on the Avid from the very beginning, we took the footage, which was scanned 35 millimeter footage. And at that point, back in time, it was only 2K. 
But the computers and the software could not even close to handle 2K footage. Now I can do that on my laptop, on my MacBook Pro. But still, because the footage has gotten so much uh, larger, uh, you know, you're dealing with 8K files and 12-bit and, and, and files and things like that. Um, proxies are the best way to cut a volume-intensive show. And um, I highly recommend for anyone who's trying to, to do a film or a television show even to make proxies, guys. It's like, don't try to cut it on your source material. It's going to give you nothing but headaches. And again, um, I think that's one of the things that uh, gave Avid such great success and such a foot, uh, foot up because, because they were compressing the media. Yes, you were sacrificing quality. Um, but I mean, I cut my last show on the Avid at 2K, uh, but you're able to, the computer is much less stressed and able to handle, you know, huge volumes of footage. Again, if you're working in a, you know, 30 second commercial or a minute spot, maybe it doesn't matter. I wouldn't want to cut 8K, uh, yeah. uncompressed, but, uh, somebody told me they're cut, they're shooting 12K now too. Uh, you know, I've, I've definitely seen demos of things like that, That's but, insane. uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess you can punch in really, really, you can do an extreme close up with a, with yeah. a 12k. Um, no, that, that's really, really important to bring out because, um, honestly to me, even though in premiere you could do proxies, I've never done proxies. Right. Um, but yeah. Um, and when you said Avid does that automatically, is this when you're ingesting it, right? Not linking it, but ingesting it and it converts them to MXF files. Is that the, is that where the proxy process comes in? Yeah, exactly. You, you, you're compressing to DNX, um, the DNX codec, which by the way, Premiere reads beautifully and can go in and out uh, with, uh, but you can, you can compress to different bit rates, 36, uh, 115, you know, all the way up to uncompressed, but, um, yeah, it, it's just, it's the way it comes either out of the laboratory or you can do it in your own cutting room. Oh, when you say out of laboratories, like when dailies go to the lab, they give you back the, the proxies are ready for you to start offlining. Is that? Yeah, they sync the, um, you know, sometimes it's done by the DIT, the digital Im imaging technician on set, or mm. people send it to a lab like PhotoChem. And they have a software, I think it's called Next Lab, where they, they actually sync the dailies to the audio masters for you. And then they give you an EDL uh, or an a, a, uh, AAF, I think. Uh, mm. And then you just drop that into the Avid and it automatically links up with all of your proxies. So it's a, a beautiful and a pretty seamless thing. It's not without errors at times. And, um, you know, that's where the assistance, you know, keen eye and expertise comes in. And this is stuff we we teach in, in feature film assistant editor over at Master the Workflow. Uh, so real quick, tell 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 us about the Master of the Workflows um, and what, you, what you're teaching there, because and I do have a couple of other questions, but I, w I wanted to get that in before I forget. Sure. Well, Master of the Workflow is something that um, Richard Sanchez and I came up with, gosh, back in two, 2017. We were working on a picture for Netflix called Naked. And, um, you know, I was noticing a lot of people wanted to come in and quote unquote shadow Richard, sit behind his back and kind of watch the overall 
assistant editor workflow. And Richard, who's a very generous guy and a great teacher, um, you know, let, let people come in when, when things weren't too crazy and, um, you know, and observe. And, you know, I started talking to him about it. And what happened was we realized that you can't really do it in hour long chunks. So we came up with this idea of putting it on video, everything from start to finish, even, even before you, uh, you know, get the job, you know, dealing with the interview with your editor, uh, and then all of the very specific technical skills from beginning pre-production meetings all the way to final delivery to the studio. Uh, and we put that together in a course. Richard teaches it. Um, we made it together. It's about 14 hours of video. And we also uh, feel it's important to teach the soft skills, um, you know, like diplomacy in the cutting room, how to, uh, you know, when to offer your opinion on a cut and what to say when the director and the producer in the room uh, is in the room as an assistant. Um, you know, I've been in a lot of situations where somebody offers up an opinion and it's just the wrong time and the person didn't read the room, so to speak. And, you know, I've seen people get fired for things uh, like that. So we, we try to teach the entire sort of, um, environment of the cutting room soft skills hard skills and it's been great we've put over 1400 students through our course in uh over 40 countries and so this is a live class or it's all pre-recorded that people attend and yeah watch? yeah the objective was to make it as convenient for people as possible a lot of people are working while taking the course um, a lot of people are students and, you know, they, they can't get to a specific uh, live course. So we put it all on video and um, we have a private support uh, group on Facebook mm. and uh, everybody can always uh, reach us by email. And we try to be as responsive as, as possible, uh, you know, throughout his entire time on Ahsoka, Richard, you know, was always in the private group answering questions. He, he loves it, you know, he loves to teach. So, um, and so do I, I mean, uh, interestingly, I kind of got the idea from taking the class that you're taking now, which was uh, editing for the assistant and the apprentice editor. But back then when I took it in 1983, I think it was, or 82, um, it was on film, mm -hmm. but, uh, and then I developed a, a, a course for assistant editors at UCLA, UCLA Extension, which I taught like 83, oh, cool. 84. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, it might even be sort of similar to what you're doing now. Um, and so we thought, you know, with the Internet and, uh, you know, online courses, why not do this? And uh, it's you been, should be teaching it, at UCLA. I'd love to take a class from you. <laughs> well, I'd love to do it. I just hate driving on the LA freeways. <laughs> Tell me about it. I got an hour and a half drive to get to UCLA from here. So you are a trooper, my friend. I am. I try. But you know what? I get to listen to audiobooks, a podcast, just finish uh, Citizen Kane, a filmmaker's journey. Wow. It was a great book. I love the movie. And it was just um, wonderful. Well, we could do a whole podcast on that, to be honest. Yeah, I'm sure we could. Yeah, definitely. So that that's pretty cool. Uh, we're getting pretty close here to the end. I, I do want it, what I wanted to um, go from you and just tell me, um, I'm going to throw in genres or, or things to edit and then tell us in, in your own opinion, right? This is everybody. This is just our opinion. People will go, no, he's wrong, of course. And others will go, yes, he's right, of course. 
So it's our opinion, but like feature film and TV, which NLE would, would if, if somebody's going into this today, which NLE should they learn first for feature film and TV? Avid, if you want to get a job. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Reality TV. I think Avid also. Uh, commercials, music videos. Premiere. Premiere. Documentaries. I'd say probably premiere, um, although possibly avid, depending on how many years of footage you have. <laughs> mm. uh, corporate videos. Premiere. Premiere. Educational content, you know, tutorials, things like that. Social premier. media. Premiere. Um, and when I say premiere, I, 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 I probably, probably mean Final Cut Pro and DaVinci as well. Again, all of those sort of shorter form, um, you know, formats are going to be, um, you know, very easy to work with um, in those programs if you know them and, right. and and if you're comfortable with them. And for indie filmmakers, everything goes. Premiere seems to be pretty, pretty uh, hot. I mean, I think uh, I think back in 2019, before COVID really hit, somebody told me that over 50 percent of indie films were cut in Premiere. Oh, wow. OK, so the takeaway here for everybody, I think, is Learn Avid. I mean, if you're going to script it and stuff, learn Avid first, learn Premiere and know it as well. Probably those two you want to know really well. Then the others you want to, like you, I think like you mentioned it, just be able to steer them. <laughs> I think a lot of the kids coming out of film school, if, if I may, um, already know things like iMovie, Final Cut, and possibly Premiere. So with those in your back pocket, learn the Avid. Mm -hmm. What do you think as an editor, should you also know, and I don't mean DaVinci Resolve for editing, but DaVinci Resolve for color timing, color correcting? Yeah, DaVinci Resolve. It, it seems to be. But the, as an uh, editor, should you know that? Because I know that's also there's color is right. That's specialized that. But do you do you as an editor should know that as well? You don't really have to, from my experience. If you do and you like to play with those kinds of things, it's great. But, you know, you do have a certain amount of flexibility, nothing like mm -hmm. Resolve in the Avid. You know, there is a color corrector tool. Um, ed editors don't really have to get into that. From my experience, I've never really had to get into it. I'm sent the dailies that have a lot. Occasionally, you'll need to fix a shot, but it's pretty rare. And usually I pawn that off on my assistant. I see. Uh, cool. I got to ask you before we close this up. It's the trigger word. So warning, triggering people sometimes. Yikes. AI. You know, I'm AI. Have to close AI and obviously you're a guy that's really open to all this new stuff. But uh, what's your take on AI specifically on from an editing perspective and in, in there? Uh, what's your take on AI, gen AI, gen, generative AI? Uh, where do you see the future of how that's going to be used? Well, um, the the title of our first podcast, the, the working title is AI Adapt or Die. Um, okay, there, that says it all. So, uh, you, you know, and, and that'll be again up on the Master of the Workflow presents the Render Bar uh, website pretty soon, our YouTube channel and Spotify. But um, I understand people's concerns with AI, and we need to protect creative people, writers, editors, directors, production designers, costumers, sound people voiceover artists, we need to protect everyone, actors, of course. Um, so I think um, 
you know, we, we have to regulate. Uh, I think that there needs to be regulation. But on the other hand, uh, I'm as excited, if not more excited, for some of the possibilities of AI uh, than I was about the uh, the origin of digital tech, digital editing. Mm. Um, I think it's going to be give creative people so much more power. I think it's going to be that much more democratizing for people um, who have traditionally not had the opportunity to have their voices heard, to have their voices heard. You know, uh, people of color, women, disabled people, uh, you know, if they can harness these tools and yeah. use them ethically, um, I think a lot of people's voices will be heard. And I, I, I think that's really a, a valuable thing. But um, it's not without its demons and Pandora's box. So tread carefully. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Of course, like every every technology, right? Double-edged sword. Um, but it's not going away. I mean, so, right. so, you know, hence, doing hence this is not going to help, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, some of the things you can do. In fact, I just saw a demo just about an hour before we started talking about a, an Adobe product called Adobe Stardust. And you can huh. Google it if you want. And it um, makes Photoshop it, it, it integrates integrates some of the more generative AI tools into Photoshop that will just blow your mind. And, and it's um, by Adobe. It's called Adobe Stardust. Adobe Stardust. It's uh, it's a, okay. in a, in the experimental stages yeah, right now, yeah, but I the think lab. they're showing it. They're showing it at Adobe Max. And oh, um, cool! I'm going to be there next week. Are you going to Adobe Max? No, no. Again, hate driving. Um, we'll watch the live stream. <laughs> I'll be going there. I like the in-person and the live stuff. Um, I, I don't mind learning on YouTube and stuff, but I like in-person. Yeah, no, it would be fun, but I just don't have the chance. No. Um, but yeah, and, and I'm sure they're going to have a lot more cool stuff for yeah. video, for photos. Um, so hold on to your hats. Last thing I do want to ask you, though, because I, if, if anything is going to affect in the edit room, AI is going to affect anything, I, I think, and I'd love to get your final take on this, is going to be the AE position, right? Where the organizing, the tagging, the maybe first assembly, whatever. Um, do you, first of all, do you, do you agree with that or maybe not agree with that? And so how can AEs prepare themselves for AI? What do they need to learn so they can stay, they can stay in the room? Well, I, I think that it um, it will eliminate some tasks, uh, absolutely, um, but it'll create other tasks. And um, you know, my advice to people who are you know are fearful of what AI might do to their jobs is learn the AI because the people who learn the AI are going to be the people who stay employed. If you don't learn it, if you stick your head in the sand. Um, there's a much higher chance that you're you're going to become you know obsolete. So keep learning, keep your ears peeled. You know, subscribe to industry publications, newsletters, subscribe to the Mass of the Workflow newsletter. Um, you, you know, because I'm into this stuff and I try to keep everybody you know abreast of of anything that will affect us as editors and and assistants. Uh, you know, into the future. Yeah, great advice. Great advice. So if people want to check out Master of the Workflow, what's the URL that you want to give? And MasterTheWorkflow.com. Can't get any Master simpler the, than that. Can't get any simpler than that. And you know, Master the Workflow on YouTube. We've got a lot of great interviews with editors, some really, really um, you know, legendary editors. And um, we've got interviews with assistants, 
It's also available as a podcast on Spotify and eight other channels, Apple, Apple podcasts, et cetera. So check us out. Cool. Larry, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Marcelo, fun talking with you. Best of luck in all your ventures. And you know, you could always reach out to me if you ever, ever have a question. Awesome. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Transitioning to Filmmaking podcast. Remember, if you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe to my channel, click the bell icon to get notified when a new episode is out, and hit that like button if you enjoyed this episode. If you didn't, send me an email, marcelo at creativespark.ai, and tell me why. Finally, remember to visit my site, creativespark.ai, for more podcast episodes, tutorials, and to read my daily journal, where I post how my transition to filmmaking is going. Until the next one, cheers. Thank you.